Hello and welcome to Your Gracious Journey. This is Julie Sickles. And this is Julie Farber. And we're here today with our first episode from season two. Yeah. 2024. 2024. So I'm actually really excited about this. This is one of the greatest people in my world. So we are interviewing my mom, Luann Farber. And yeah, she's really cool. One of the big reasons why I wanted to interview my mom is because she has had kind of a rough hand dealt to her in the health department throughout her life a little bit. I mean, she's stuck. She said, yeah, she's she's had some challenges. Yeah, she's very health conscious. And I think that that's a really good topic to focus on for the beginning of a new year. I know a lot of people are setting new resolutions for the year, things like that. And so Mm -hmm. something that I want to talk about. So I'm just going to call you mom. Tell us a little bit about you. Like, what do you love? What's a hobby? We'll do that first. Like, what are your hobbies? Okay. I guess the things that I love the most is my family. I love spending time with my family, um, especially my 10 grandchildren. They range in age from 18 down to two years old. They're the light of my life. And I love to spend time with them. And I love to bake lots of different good desserts. I like to cook too, not so much because for the love of cooking, but for the ability to feed my family. And I'm a registered dental hygienist. I worked for 47 years as a dental hygienist, and I loved doing that. I retired two years ago, so I'm grateful for the time to be able to do that. I I loved all my patients. The last office I worked in, I was there for 25 years, so got to know my patients really well. And it was a great experience. And now I've moved on since retirement. I'm serving full-time as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the Salt Lake City headquarters mission, full-time with my husband. I've been married to my husband, Michael, for 49 years. This summer, we celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. So I love spending time with him and it's been a great ride so far. Yeah, that's awesome. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Good overview. One thing that I I want to attest to the things that she's talked about, she loves cooking. I think she loves baking more and she loves her family. And there's one thing that she does, which I think is really great. It sets her apart from most people, but she knows what each member of the family likes and doesn't like, like meal wise, and she will provide, right? So (laughs) like, I don't like raspberries. She'll do fruit. Sometimes she'll include raspberries and she'll have like a separate bowl for strawberries. <laughs> that's just mine because that's what I'll eat. So that's just an example of something that she does. She really does love everybody. She wants everybody to be happy and she's nonstop service. So, and just so you know, Luann, whenever Julie talks about your meals, she has a statement that she always says. And I've heard the statement. My entire life. And it is, my mom is such a good cook. That is what she says. Mm. She's she's like, oh, I'm going to my mom's for dinner. And my mom is such a good cook. Or I'm going to be eating this. And my mom is such a good cook. That's her phrase that she says all the time. I don't remember saying it all the time, but I guess. Oh, you do. But I do think you're a good cook. (laughs) I don't know that I'm a great cook, but my kids like a lot of the food that I make. So 
That's all that matters. Well, they, which makes you yeah, great. They think you're a good cook. Yeah. And that's probably all that really matters. Yeah. Um, and I've had your food. I think you're a good cook. I've never <laughs> had anything I didn't like. Yeah. Okay. So I think we should just get started. I kind of want to go back. This is something that's probably, at least for me, been kind of a, a few definitive moments just watching you go through some health issues. And I was hoping that you would be willing to talk about the couple of times you went through cancer. Sure. You want to talk about the first one? Okay. The first time that I had cancer was I was 34 years old and I just went for a regular routine gynecological check. And for the first time in my life, the gynecologist pressed on my throat and had me swallow and never had a gynecologist check my thyroid before. But for him, that was routine. And it was it was a new gynecologist that I had been to because we had recently moved to Thousand Oaks, California for the first time. He said, I'm sure this is probably nothing, but I want you to go and have it checked. Apparently, when you press on the lower throat area and swallow, you should not be able to feel anything. And he felt a lump. And so we were just getting ready to go on vacation to back to Michigan. We lived in California at the time. And I asked if it was okay, because we were going for a whole month in the summer. And he said, sure, but as soon as you get back, go ahead and check. And so I didn't, we got back and got busy getting kids ready to go back to school and everything. But in September, uh, my husband and I were away for the weekend. And I just happened to read a People magazine that talked about a woman that had thyroid cancer. And that just really sparked my attention. And I thought, you know, I really need to go get this checked. So as soon as I got home, I set up the appointment and went and had it checked and and ended up that uh, I had a biopsy done. And the doctor said, we can't really tell if it's cancer or not, but it's definitely a lump. By the time I had been to the doctor, which was a couple of months from my original gynecological appointment, it had been probably about two months and you could actually see a lump in my throat by that time. And so he like visually, said, like to look at yes. you, you could yeah, see it. Yeah, you could see okay. it. And I had not noticed it, but when the doctor walked in the room, he said, Oh, yes, I can see. He could he could see it. And then once he pointed it out, I could see it. Um so uh they did a needle biopsy, but couldn't definitively tell if it was cancer or not. So he said, We need to go in and remove it. And so I set up the surgery and um, they went in and removed it. It was attached to one lobe of my thyroid. The thyroid is two lobes, kind of like a butterfly. Mm -hmm. And it was attached to one lobe. So they removed that lobe of the of the, the thyroid along with the tumor, which by that time had grown. It was about the size of a ping pong ball. Oh, so wow. it had gotten pretty significant in size. Mm -hmm. And while I was on the operating table, they'd sent pathology to the lab and they didn't think that it was cancer. And so they closed me back up. If they had thought that it was cancer or if they'd known it was cancer, they would have removed both parts of my thyroid. Hmm. And 
but they closed me back up and left the one, but it was still suspicious. They weren't really sure. And so they sent the results to the Armed Forces Pathology Lab in Washington, D.C., which at that time was some kind of an ultimate authority. This was back in 1989. At least that's what I was told. And so six weeks after my surgery, my doctor called and said, you do have thyroid cancer. Mm. And so, but he said, I can tell you from taking it out, it was completely encapsulated. There were no little feelers going out from it. Um, He said, as your surgeon, I would not recommend going back in and getting the other half out. And so I said, okay. Um, But he said, you should get another opinion. Um, And we were just in the process of moving from Thousand Oaks back to Michigan at that time. And so I decided my brother and sister-in-law were both physicians at the University of Michigan Hospital. And so they, when I was out there looking for homes, they set up an appointment with me with a thyroid specialist at University of Michigan, and he was world-renowned. He'd been all over the world doing surgeries, teaching about thyroid, and he told me that, yes, he would go back in and do additional surgery. He would slit my throat from ear to ear, and he would remove the other thyroid and check all my lymph nodes in my throat. And that was his recommendation. And when I called my doctor back in California, he said, well, you can do what you need to do, but I don't think you need to do that. And my brother and sister-in-law who were at U of M said, yes, you need to do what the doctor here is telling you. Mm. So I got another opinion. And you got a third opinion. Yeah. Went yeah. to another doctor. Okay. And I have very strong faith. So a lot of prayer went into to it. But the third doctor recommended that he said he would not do surgery again either. And so when he said that, I knew that 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 was the right answer. And, And it was not very appealing to me to have my throat slit from ear to ear. So understandable. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that was now... 1989. That was 34 years ago. And I've not had any problems since. Um, I do take a thyroid medication now. Um, Immediately what my original surgeon recommended was putting me on thyroid, which you can easily get by with just one half of your thyroid. But by putting me on thyroid, it suppressed my thyroid that was left. And Mm -hmm. so that I they didn't want to grow a tumor on the other side. That's what they were trying to prevent. So that makes sense. 34 years later, I still don't have any more thyroid problems at all. Mm -hmm. So I was very grateful. Yeah. That sounds like it was a really tough decision at the time. It was was a very tough decision. Yeah. My oldest, I, I had four children at the time. My oldest was 12 and my youngest was two. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I remember yeah. that. So what was the, they did do treatment though, right? They did radiation, right? Not on, not for my thyroid. My thyroid, I they just had the surgery and that was it. I remember, and maybe I'm not remembering this correctly, but wasn't there a, a short time where you, they told you not to pick up Andy? 
No. One of the options they had offered was that they could give me uh, radioactive iodine um, to kill my thyroid, what was left of it, instead of doing surgery. And then I wouldn't have been able to hold my children or anything for several weeks if I had done the radioactive iodine. And you didn't do that. And I didn't do that. No. Okay. No. But no problems. Thyroid cancer free for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. But then it was 20, no, 13. Let's see, it was 30, 13 years later when I discovered I had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandmother had had breast cancer, my mother's mother, and my mother had breast cancer at the same time that I did. But because of my grandmother's history, I was always vigilant about doing exams. When I was younger, mammograms were not recommended. But as I got older, I did mammograms regularly after I got over the age of 40. Mm-hmm. And um, But the, it, interestingly enough, this same doctor that discovered the lump in my thyroid Um, because he was a gynecologist, he asked me if I did regular breast exams. And I told him, yeah, I do them probably once a month or so. And he said, well, he said, that's good that you do that. But once a month is not enough. He said, what if a lump starts to form right after you checked, and you didn't check again for another month? And he said, then it would be there for a whole month before you knew it was there. Mm. And so he said, I recommend that you check every week, just do it the same day every week when you're in the shower. And then he said, show me how you do a breast exam. So I showed him and he said, I can tell you that you're not pressing hard enough and you wouldn't likely find a lump. And so he actually took my hand and showed me how hard I needed to press, which is what saved my life. So it's just amazing because this doctor was probably in his late 60s. And so he wasn't a new doctor, just out of medical school, but it took the time to teach me what I needed to know. And so I started doing breast exams every week. And 13 years later, discovered a lump and went in right away. And sure enough, it was, it did a biopsy and it was breast cancer. And I was able to have a lumpectomy, which I was grateful for. And Then I had um, seven weeks of radiation therapy, but also had to go through four and a half months, six treatments of chemotherapy. Yeah. Because the kind of cancer I had, I had a, it's called a double negative breast cancer, which it was small. We had caught it early. It was stage two, but is the kind of cancer that can really spread. And so they said, that they wanted to do the chemotherapy. They said the chemotherapy is to keep it from coming back 15 years from now. Yeah. Because you often hear about that happening with women. Well, they'll go five, 10, 15 years, and then it comes back again. And so gone 20 this year is 20 years and it hasn't come back. So I'm just grateful. But I did find out after a few years because of, my mom had breast cancer 
at the same time I did, she didn't treat hers. And so it spread and she died from that after a couple of years. But her mother had had it and her mother had a mastectomy. And when she was in her 60s and went on to live to be 94. So live for a long time after she had it. So I decided I was going to do whatever I could. And here I am 20 years later, I'm still here. And I did find out that I have the BRCA2 gene mutation, which for people who have it, it makes your chances of getting breast cancer very high. And, but the whole key that I've learned from all of this is that early detection is the key and that I've been cured twice now from cancer and I'm 68 years old and healthy and living my best life. So there is life after cancer. And I'm grateful to know that. I am very thankful that there is life for you after cancer. I think that was a rough time for us. I mean, it's stressful for everybody in a different way. Obviously, we're not going through the same health challenge as you are, but it was tough. So I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if Julie has more questions too, but what would you say were the hardest parts for you when you had your cancer diagnosis? And also after that, like what has helped you? I think the hardest thing for me is just the fear of the unknown. You know, I didn't know if I was going to live or die. I didn't know if I was going to leave for four little kids without a mother. That was my worst fear. So that was probably the hardest thing. The radiation for me was pretty easy. I got about 30 seconds worth of radiation every day. And I followed their instructions explicitly by using aloe vera every day, I think four or five times a day. And I, so I never got burned. So I really had no bad side effects from that. But the chemotherapy made me very sick and I lost my hair, which that was hard. Losing the hair was way, way harder than being bald. What do you mean? Like watching it fall out was harder than not having it. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. And so my recommendation to people that I know if they know they're going to lose their hair is I would wait. It took about three weeks for it to fall out after the first treatment. But if I had it to do again, once my hair started to fall out, you know, I let it go and it was getting thinner. I would have just shaved it then because going into the shower and coming out with two hands full of hair is That's hard. just traumatic. Yeah. yeah. Very traumatic. Didn't Kristen help you? She shaved. Yeah, my daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. My daughter that's just younger than Julie shaved my head. Yeah. And I was worried that would be traumatic for her, but. I don't think it was. She told me about it. Yeah. She talked she, about she, it. And just do yeah. okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it was nice that she could do something to help you. I think it's hard when you do have loved ones that are sick and you feel like you don't know what to do. Yeah. And that was one way that she could be with you. Yeah. My husband felt like that, that there was, there was not much he could do. And it's, it's a hard thing to go through too. 
for yeah. other family members. Yeah. 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 But I think for me, just the fear of not knowing it would have been a lot easier if I had known everything's going to come out. Okay. Yeah. But I didn't know that. I had no yeah. idea. So, so now after, you know, like you said, it's been 30 something years since thyroid cancer and mm -hmm. 20, 20 years, years almost for yeah. breast cancer. I think the question I want to I have written down here is how has it changed you? But I think I want to ask more like how has it helped you grow? I think oh that's yeah. That's a good question. Well, and it's close to a question I wanted to ask, so maybe I'll <laughs> mush it together with Julia's question. I wanted to ask how maybe the thyroid cancer diagnosis and the process that you went through to get through that maybe helped you the second time around. Oh, well, I, yeah, I can answer that question. It definitely helped me because the very first time that you hear you have cancer, it's a very traumatic experience because there's such a wide range of people that we know that have had cancer, some that have had very good outcomes, some that have yeah. not had as good outcomes like my mother. Mm. And so you're just, you know, that unknown, you don't know what is this going to be for me. So I think that's the very hardest part of it. I've learned a lot from it. There's a country song that talks about that I wish you could live like you were, you were dying. I think that that's an experience that really is good for anyone because you truly learn what is important and to not worry about the stupid things that you used to think were important. And I know that every day of my life is a gift and so it's made me so much more grateful. Every day that I wake up and I'm breathing and walking around and living, I'm so grateful. So many of my friends, as they've gotten to their milestone birthdays, 40, 50, 60, they're sad, they're depressed. When I hit 40... I celebrated. I was so happy. 50, yes. And 60. And I never moped or felt sad that I'd gotten another year older. Never regretted it. And, you know, two more years, it'll be 70. And I just look forward to it. I'm so grateful to get older. And that's probably the biggest thing that this, the effect that has had on me is because it's made me so grateful for every day where, you know, some people are sad because they didn't get something they wanted or I don't experience those things. Yeah. Just grateful for every single day. And I also know that my experiences with my family, with friends. That's what's really important. Material things mean nothing. And, you know, it's always nice to have nice things. But when you're going through something like that, you realize that that has no, no value at all. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I'm yeah. grateful for those lessons because some people don't ever learn them. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's amazing that you can take those lessons with you every day and really just be grateful for your life and yeah. for being alive and for every experience that you well, are able to and, have. Yeah. And the thing that I know is that without those experiences, I would not have changed my thinking. And so I know that God knows exactly what we need to go through to change and become the people that he knows we can become. And he's done that for me. And I'm honestly grateful for having cancer twice because I learned things and and it's mainly just the way I view life and view other people that is totally different. Yeah. I think that's definitely a perspective that probably not everybody gets. Yeah, that's the song that I wish everyone could live like they were dying because mm. I didn't know if I was going to die or not. I didn't feel gloom and doom that I thought I was going to die, but I did wonder. I just didn't yeah. know really what the outcome would be. Right. And yeah. So it made me cherish every day that I had and yeah. still do. Yeah, I never thought that I'd live to be 68 years old. And I'm I'm not afraid to tell anyone what my age is. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't bother me at all. You and yeah. I have that in common. I don't I don't you care. Can, <laughs> I know. Be proud of your age. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Yeah. That so, is amazing. I think that definitely gratitude is probably the key to happiness. I think so. Yeah. I think it yeah. really is. There's there's something to be grateful for every single day. And sometimes when life is crashing around us, it's hard to find those things that we can be grateful for. But there really are so many things. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that I truly know and believe that our joy and our happiness in this life has little to do with what's going on in our life it has everything to do with what we focus on yeah yeah so true very true that is true i think that oh no um so what are your goals this is a two-part question again what are your goals health-wise now and then also just what are your goals in general Okay. Um, Well, I love being active. I still run. I'm able to run all of my siblings. I have two brothers and two sisters. And my mother all have have had both knees replaced. My knees are still fine. And uh, but I'm the only one my father and I are the only ones in our family. And I didn't ever like to run, but I needed to do something. When I got thyroid cancer, the one thing that my doctor, the endocrinologist told me is that he said, you're pretty young to be going on thyroid at 34 years old, and you're going to be on it for the rest of your life. He said, people who are on thyroid for so many years tend to get osteoporosis. And so you really need to do some load bearing exercises. Mm -hmm. That's what will help prevent 
you from getting osteoporosis. And so that's one of the reasons I started running. I did not like it at first, but I've really mm-hmm. learned to like it after after that. It just feels it feels really good when it's all done, <laughs> mostly when I'm yeah. done running. <laughs> and but I do exercise regularly. And it's because of that. And I also know from things that I have read that the thing that will prevent cancer from returning is regular exercise Mm. and eating healthy. And I try to do that. Not that I don't ever eat things that Mm -hmm. aren't good for me. I do like sweets and I love to bake, but I try to eat a very healthy diet, lots of fruits, vegetables, lean meats, rice, whole grains, and in moderation, because I know that that's what will help me in the long run to to have good health. So I've never smoked, I have never drank alcohol, and or never used illicit drugs, only the ones that I have to take to keep going. And I know that that has had, and those were all things that they told me too: not smoking, not drinking. I don't drink coffee and tea. And it's just really helped me to be healthier. And I know that overall, in the long run, that that's all that I can do. And hopefully it won't come back. With having the BRCA2 gene mutation, my chances are higher that it will return. Cancer will return at some point. But I figure I beat it twice already. And in the last 20 years since I had it last, I know they've come a long way in treatments. And so cancer is not a death sentence anymore. Yeah. yeah. And lots of things that can be done. And so I'm grateful for that. And I just keep a positive attitude. I think it's amazing to me that I know I could get cancer again at any time, but it's not something I ever really think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really been blessed that... I just am able, it's in the back of my mind, and I try to do everything I can to eat healthy and exercise and be healthy, and what comes will come, so, but I know I am trying everything I can on my part to prevent it from coming again, so. Yeah, Yeah. well, and I think it's sometimes not well understood how important diet and exercise really are, even when it comes to cancer. Yeah. Right. And what we do with our bodies, you know, there's this whole study of epigenetics, which is how, what we do with our bodies, both what we put in our bodies, how we use our bodies, how we think even really affects the way that our genes interact and we can turn on and off genes and it sounds like you were able to learn from doctors long ago, if I eat well, and if I exercise, and if I stay away from things that are harmful, that's going to help this gene not to be activated, Yeah, which is really important and helpful to know. I, I don't know that we hear enough about how important those things that really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I those do- are important, not just for cancer, but even for mental health. It's the same thing with depression and anxiety. We can use those things to turn on and to turn off maybe some of our genetic predispositions for anxiety or for depression. Same exact things. Yeah. 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 Diet and 
that kind of thing affects everything. Yeah, it does. And exercise is just, you know, I'm so grateful that I can still exercise and that I have enough self-discipline to do it because it's just, I know that it will just help keep me going as long as as I possibly can. So, yeah, I'm very grateful. So tell us a little bit more about that. You know, you had a a purpose and a reason and a motivation for exercise, but how did you, like, let's go back to when you were in your thirties after the thyroid diagnosis, what, and you had like a two-year-old, what did you do for exercise and how did you keep yourself motivated? Oh, okay. Then I used to go to the gym occasionally, but it was hard because um, with four little kids at home. It's hard to do, but I did. um, Even then I had VHS tapes that I would exercise at home. Do you remember those? Uh (laughs) Oh, I actually remember seeing you exercising when I was, when I was a kid. I did because we really couldn't, when at that young age, when Andy was still two, I knew that we couldn't really afford to go to the gym and have something to do with the kids and stuff. But I also, have you had always a pool. Loved... Yeah, but not, oh, not in Michigan. Yeah, it, we did. In no, California. in California. Was, it was in California. We, we did. We would swim. Okay. We swam. Yeah, we would swim a lot. And yeah. and I did that and just, you know, walk in California. I walked the kids to school. I just really believe, and I still do this now, where whenever I can, I try to take steps um, instead of elevators on my mission, and we've got lots of elevators. And when I was living on the eighth floor, I didn't take the steps then. But <laughs> when when I can just go up a couple flights of steps, I still do that. I walk when I can. I try to set a goal of 10,000 steps a day. And I have a tracker that lets yeah. me know. And I get pretty close to that almost every day. Oh, that's great. That's and uh, often I'll I'll get to that goal if I'm able to get on my treadmill. I have a treadmill in my apartment so that I can you know walk and run, even when the weather's bad. Yeah. I love to play pickleball. I do that. I used to love to play tennis, so I played tennis a lot when we lived in California. Took advantage of the warm ro- weather year round and just used to play sports with my kids. I'd play basketball yeah. with in the driveway. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And just whatever I can do. I know that even 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, it, it really is important to get up and move and keep your body going. Mm -hmm. And I feel sorry for people who can't exercise for one reason or another from health conditions. And it just feels so good to be able to move and move. Yeah. Do things. So, yeah. That's awesome. Great. Thank, yeah. Thanks for sharing those ideas. I think sometimes people just get stuck too in a rut and they don't know what to do or, oh, I can't go to the gym, so I can't right. exercise. So I really like hearing all of those different ideas because mm-hmm. I think it's even more accessible now, right? You can way open more, up YouTube. It's way more accessible now. You can have it on your watch or you can have it on yeah. your phone. You, and yeah. so you can do exercises just about anywhere now. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And so it's way more accessible, but you just have to make sure you take the time and do it. And 
Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like at least now you try and pay attention to even daily the steps. And I think that's something that helps too. Like when you have a daily thing that you're paying attention to and you're tracking, I think tracking really helps too, because you kind of know where you're at mm-hmm. throughout the day. So lots of good ideas on yeah. how to how to do it. And And when I go to a store, I just park at the back of the parking lot. And mm-hmm. so that I have to walk farther to get up to the front and yeah, and then farther to get back to my car again. Just more movement is it, yeah. it's better. Yeah. So, so now you live on the fourth floor. Do you take yes. steps? Do you take I still haven't steps taken the no? steps up. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken him down I, a few times. That's but. what I was gonna say. I'd be. I would probably do down, but the up would be. Four I think fourth floor is just a little much. I think I could see myself doing it on a third floor. Well, yeah. When I, but when we lived in a house that had steps, I would make sure that um, if I had to, something to pull put away, I would run upstairs and put it away and come down. And it never, I never collected things that I needed to do to take up all at once. I would just uh-huh. take multiple oh, times trips. up and down yeah. the stairs instead. Yeah. And that would just. That's a good, I like that idea too. That's a good one. Yeah. In one of our um, homes here in Utah, we were in a townhouse and our laundry was on the basement. And so on laundry day, because I do all my laundry on the same day. So I do you know, however many loads for me yeah. and my four kids. And I was like, okay, this is my exercise for today. I don't need to do anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go down the stairs. It's good exercise. It is good. It is good exercise. Yeah. And I had other people who would complain like, oh, my laundry is not my main floor. And I was like, no, it's good. It's my exercise yeah. day. <laughs> so it is about mindset, right? Like you can complain yeah. that the laundry isn't on the main level or you can be happy you get some extra, extra yeah. exercise yeah. that day. So now I'm spoiled that it's on the top level with all the bedrooms. That's more common now, I think. It is. It is. Up where bedrooms are. But I also don't have laundry day anymore. I have to do it all throughout the week anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you had, Julie, you have mentioned some questions that I thought were really good. We can kind of close with those, but just the advice. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to hear, um, Luann, what advice you would have for people. So my first question is, what advice would you have for someone who is just finding out or just being first diagnosed with cancer? I think my first advice is to not panic. My second advice is because everyone's story is different and everyone's cancer is different. My second advice is to not go on the internet and read everything you can because there's number one, a lot of false information out there and you can get false information. And my doctors have every single time have given me that advice. Do not go on the internet and, or they would give me specific sites to go to where they knew the information. So I would say get recommendations from your doctor of where you could go to get accurate information. And I don't think it's helpful to read all of the terrible, tragic things that happened. I mean, I saw enough of those. Um, Interestingly enough, when I got cancer, one of my 
friends gave me a number of books to read um, while because I sat around a lot when I was so sick and nauseous from going through chemotherapy. And one of the ones that she gave me was about a woman who had cancer and she died. And I mm. thought, I cried for days after I read that. Yeah. I thought, yeah, that's not the kind of thing you want to be doing. It's so important, I believe very much in the power of the mind to help heal you and the yeah. power of positivity. Mm-hmm. And so you have to surround yourself with people who are positive, who are upbeat, who love life and who want to just uplift and encourage and not be down all the time. At the time I was going through my breast cancer, my mother also had it. And she used herbs to try to cure her breast cancer. And she believed that was the way to do it. And it was not the a good way to do it. And her cancer spread to her brain and to her bones as a result of it. And she called me daily and said, you can't be doing this chemotherapy. This is poison. And I said, I know it's poison, but I'm hoping that it's going to kill this cancer that's inside of me. And sadly, about a year later, she died from it because she chose a different path. And here I am 20 years later. And chemotherapy is poison, and it does have a lot of bad side effects. And some that show up, uh, there are still things that could happen to me now 20 years later from the chemotherapy Luckily, I haven't had any of those, but it doesn't mean that it can't come. Mm -hmm. So you have to read more positive things and get correct information. I think it's really, really important. Yeah. Well, and I like that you took the time to meet with different thyroid doctors too and to get different opinions. Yeah. I think that that was really smart too, to be able to get different experiences from different people who have different experiences themselves, right? Like there isn't going to be probably any one doctor that has all the answers to everything. You're able to get the advice that you needed and that has kept you alive. Yep. So there was a a convention that's done annually for people who have the BRCA1 and BRCA2 cancer mutations. And so I did go to that in Florida and Julie went with me to it um, also, but it was so helpful to me to be around a lot of other people who were in the same boat that I was, and they gave a lot of really, really good information. And that's where I learned more about making sure that I exercise and those kinds of things, the positive things, they emphasize the positive things that you can do to prevent cancer from coming back. So that was really helpful too. Well, that's good. Yeah, good to know about. Yeah, that was so an interesting next... experience. Oh, yeah. Do you guys want to talk more about maybe a few things you've learned? You learned there. Um, it's been a long time. Yeah, twenty. That was twenty years. No, when did we go to the thing? The kids were. It was probably fifteen, fourteen years ago, something like that. Yeah. That we went. Yeah, and I think so much has changed even since then. You know. Yes. But there were some things in it I decided for myself because the reason why I went with her is because I got tested for the BRCA2 gene and I have it. So doesn't Andy have it too? Yes. Ryan hasn't been tested. No, he still has Kristen has and she does not have it. 
So basically, I think it's, isn't it like a 50, 50 chance? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm lucky. I got it. (laughs) Um, but you got it, but you know that you have it, which I think yeah. is really Knowing is a good thing for sure. I think that's a good yeah. thing. But but my sister, both of my sisters were tested and neither one of them had have it. But one of them has had breast cancer, got breast cancer a couple of years ago, even and she does not have the gene mutation. Um, 90% of the people that get breast cancer or 95%, I think, do not have the mutation. Oh. But wow. if you do have the mutation, your chances you have about are higher. Eighty-five cent percent chance you will get it. But that's by a certain age. Yeah, by the by age seventy. Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, but it, but then you know to be to do what your doctor had recommended, which is do the exams every week, catch it early, yeah. Um, eat healthy, do the preventatives, right, mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Julie, you had talked about too, I remember when you went to the conference and you talked about how, I think this was around the time Angelina Jolie did the double mastectomy preventatively too. I mean, I know. Yeah, that might've been. I think it was. I remember she did it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you went either right before or right after. It it seemed like it was right around the same time. So I know there's other things you can do too, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's a little more extreme method of prevention, but but getting information on different mm-hmm. ways to prevent, I think, is really helpful. Mm-hmm. And everyone, yeah. the, the thing that I've learned is, you know, my mom chose a different journey than I chose. But I guess the biggest thing I've learned, too, is everyone is so different. And what one person chooses and what's right for them isn't necessarily what's right for the other person. I really feel that what I did was right for me, but it might not be what's right for everyone. And so yeah. I don't think we should try to tell other people what's right for them that mm-hmm. just encourage and uplift and support and they need to make the decision. Who's ever going through it needs to make their own decision of what's right for them. Right. Yeah. We just sure. need to support and try to help and strengthen them. That's yeah. Yeah. In what ways did your family and friends help? to support and strengthen you as you went through this journey? Well, I had a a lot of support. I had a lot of friends that brought meals, especially on the days when I had my chemo treatments, because that's, I would be really sick for the first couple of days. I had friends that invited me to go out and do things, or they'd come over and just visit with me. And that was really, really nice and very helpful. And so just supportive things. They didn't stop talking to me because I had cancer, which I was very grateful for that. I did have to really be careful about being around crowds and things though. When my immune system was really at its low point, a week after each chemo treatment was when my immune system was at its lowest point. And then they gave me a medicine to help reboost my white blood cells to get it ready for the next chemo treatment. So I just avoided being around a lot of people at that time. But just a lot of people would call and just little things. It doesn't take anything. Just knowing that you're remembered, that people are thinking of you was really helpful. And I really continued to do everything that I could for myself and for my family that I felt good enough to do. I tried to keep my life as normal as possible and I was pretty much able to do that. So I was really grateful for that. 
Yeah, that is great. From what I remember, I think that's mostly true. I think the days where you felt really sick, I mean, you were more in bed, but I mean, you still cooked and did the things around the house and I did. Yeah. I still did all my laundry. I did all my cleaning. It. Mm-hmm. I wasn't working at that time. It just took me a lot longer to do it because my stamina was really, really reduced when I was on chemo. But I would work for 10 or 15 minutes doing something. And I had all day because I wasn't working. Mm-hmm. So I was still able to really keep up with the things that I needed to do. and And that made me feel good, too, to be able to have stuff to do. And I read um, probably about three to four books a week. (laughs) That's good. That's really good. Because I TV the first couple of weeks, I watched TV. And after that, it just got really old. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So books were a way better way to not have to think about all the other things. Well, you didn't have Netflix back then. No, <laughs> no, no binge watching anything. I know super regular cool. old TV, especially during the day, was not so great back yeah. then. <laughs> soap operas and yeah, <laughs> soap and operas doc- and game Dr. shows, Phil, and- Oprah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Well, and it sounds like one thing that you did was you tried to pay attention to your body and really see like what can I do. You took that time that you needed in between your activities to kind of rest and recuperate so that if all you could do is put in a load of laundry once and take out a load, you know, put it in the dryer for 10 minutes, right? Like, and if that's what you, that if it took you all day to do that, you were patient with yourself. And I think sometimes when we're sick, that's the hard part is we have these expectations of what we're used to expecting. Mm -hmm. And when we place those expectations on us, it just increases like the burden and the difficulty that we feel in that moment. It's overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you have anything else, Julie? Well, uh, let's finish with this. (laughs) Any other advice in general that you have for our listeners after sharing this part of your journey with us? No, I think just prevention is the key. Just because of my profession in as a dental hygienist, I've just had a lot of health training and eating healthy, avoiding tobacco and alcohol and other drugs that are out there now is just so important. But exercising, 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 really the the key to keeping our bodies going and yeah. doing what we want them to do. that's great thank you good thank you so much for being willing to share it's i know that's a hard thing to do especially with our crying genes that we have yeah (laughs) i know actually i'm surprised julie like i didn't see you crying you're you're more of a crier than me but i'm i was over here with my kleenex (laughs) sniffling and no they were there (laughs) They were there. You just hid them well today. (laughs) Yeah, a little. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, mom. Yeah, you're welcome. It was great. Yeah, yeah. We're so glad that you were able to share with us, and I, I love the message that you had to share. I think this is a good, a very good time of year for all of us to hear the things that we can do to be healthier. 
Yeah. And I guess the only other thing that I would say is if there's something that you think is suspicious, um, if you feel a lump or you just start feeling weird or something's just out of the ordinary, don't hesitate to go and get it checked out. And also you have to make sure you're your own advocate with the doctors because one of the doctors, when I was trying to make the decision about doing more surgery with the thyroid, I went to one of the other doctors. I actually went to a fourth doctor to get another opinion. And he said, I can tell you, if you go to eight different doctors, you're going to get eight different opinions. Mm -hmm. And you, so occasionally one or two might agree, but otherwise they may not. And I use prayer as a way to make decisions for myself. And so, cause I know that God answers our prayers and, so that's what I used. And I was able to know what was right for me by, you know, through getting information as much as I could through medical professionals and then praying about it and getting the answer of what was right for me. Yeah, that's invaluable. You can't put, yeah, I, that's so good. So good. I know, I know, but it is, it's, yeah, it's true it is. because I think everyone is an individual and what is going to be right for one person isn't for another. And so being able to use prayer or intuition, I think is very important and can bring a lot of comfort as well. Yeah. Well, I think we can sign off here. Okay. Thanks again. Appreciate you sharing your story. It's very, I, I think it's really important. I mean, we all have this potential to face health issues, you know, and we want to be able to arm ourselves with like, you know, the best tools we have to try and prevent it. And then if it does happen to us, you know, how we treat it and that kind of thing. So well, my really experience good. is that no one, no one on earth will escape health issues. No, At sure. some point in your life, everyone will have some kind of a health issue to deal right. with. So yeah. that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. All of our days are numbered. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. And okay. I just want to say thanks to our listeners too. We're really happy to be back. It's been kind of a weird break. Having break. a break. I mean, it's been nice, but it's been weird. I don't know. I'm happy to be back and be back into the swing of it. And yeah. So we thank yeah, you. Yeah, we're excited and- to bring you a whole new season of of interviews and information and we are just hoping the best for you in 2024 we'll see you next week bye bye